Well, welcome back to the When I Heard This Podcast. My name is Nate Robinsoff, and I'm here with Pastor Joseph Tillman. Today is a day. It's a day, man, and we're not recording so late at night. Look at it. I'm feeling great. There's the sun. <laughs> well, it's kind of cloudy, but yes, yeah, it's daylight. Yeah, you can see through the window. Yes, you can. Today we are talking about um, growing up in a not-so-great environment and yep. not having the best upbringing. Yes, sir. Um so that's what we're going to be getting getting into. First off, go to Patreon five dollars. Click all the buttons around the things like subscribe, share, download, all those. All right. So my first question: Life has really okay. So hypothetically, okay, life has not been great, and I'm on my own living now. Okay. So it's been horrible. <laughs> okay. Like not like the worst thing ever, but but. I, I have, I don't know really how to, like, I, I wasn't parented well. Okay. Like, I, I didn't learn the best, like, enough things. Okay. So, I have my whole life ahead of me, and all I've known is that, where do you, th- where do you think I'm at in my head? Where do I think you're at in your head? Yeah. Some people, it's interesting, because people just respond to the same things in different ways, right? Yeah. So... You may have, some people may have gone through all those hardships and they have a sense of like high levels of like rejection, self-pity, low Mm self-worth, that kind of thing. Others go through that exact same thing and they kind of take the position of, you know what, forget that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to repeat that. I'm not going to let that define me. And kind of like in their own heads a little bit, become a little bit rebellious. And I don't mean that in like a like acting out rebellion way, just other, in other words, like I'm going to take control mm. of, of my future, my life and, and, and forget this. I'm not gonna let this past dictate what, what, who I'm going to be, what I'm going to do. And then I think for others, they probably just live in like a state of probably like resentment and unforgiveness toward, toward it all. Um, which can lead people into, you know, depression and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think it kind of depends on the person. Different again, different people respond to different things. But regardless, if if that's the experiences you've come from, and and let's say you're not a Christian, okay, and so therefore I'm kind of leaving the Christian element out of this. Mm-hmm. I think probably those are the the few. There's probably three of the of the primary ways in which people respond to things, like low self worth, you know, low self esteem. One second, you know what? Forget this. I'm gonna take control of my life um, and do something with my life. Then, or number three, just kind of stay in a perpetual state of just being mad and angry and having drama all around you and unforgiveness and you know. And again, it can lead into depression and that kind of stuff. So I think probably there's a, probably three primary ways people respond to a, a childhood like that. And how would how would I? How would I know how to not repeat that stuff? Like, how would I know what to do? Like, say I want to reject all that. How would okay. I know not to? How would I know what the the other what, side is? What the yeah? What I'm gonna do in <laughs> retaliation? Yeah, I think some people kind of have the position of like, all right, well, I'm just gonna not do that, mm. right? So, like, parents yelling at me, not gonna do that. Um, uh, parents. Um, 
you know, not being faithful and cheating around, not going to do that. Um, uh, so I think that it's almost like a position of I'm not go- like more than really knowing what to do. You just know you're not going to do those things. Okay. And I think it can still leave people in a place of searching of what will, how will I carry myself? What will I do? How will my future be shaped? But there's also a sense of, but I'm simply not going to do those things that I deem to be unhealthy, that I deemed to be detrimental. Um, and so I think they kind of learn like what not to do through those patterns. Okay. So say I've never seen anyone like growing up with like a, a stable job okay. that, you know, thinking about jobs. Yeah, sure. So how do I know how to get a Like, how do I know what to do with my life in that area? Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I think there are some people who simply don't know what to do. Like in other words, they just, they're going to repeat what they've seen, you know? Um, And so that that you you just kind of repeat it. If there are people that are like, hey, my parents never had a stable job. We were always struggling with having enough food on the table, those kind of things, then again, maybe they go, well, I'm not going to do that. So the opposite of that would be to work. Now they may work and they may work a lot. And, but I don't know if they'll always know the ethic within that work. Okay. What's um, that mean? And so in other words, will, in other words, they may have, they may have, they may have good work ethic in the sense that they will work hard, but they may not do it all ethically. Okay. Um, and so because they're looking to, to gain what, you know, whatever it may be, um, a leg up, uh, a promotion, you know, because they're trying to distance themselves from not having that stable job, not having that stable income mm-hmm. to get to a place of where there is, you know, not only a stable job, but, in, but what they deem to be stable income. And so, um, so yeah, so I think I think you can look at the opposite and go, okay, well, again, they didn't work. I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. So what about relationships? Like I've never seen a good marriage or relationship in my life. How would I know how to have that? Well, boy, this one's hard because there's people who have been who've had it modeled for them, like what a good relationship looks like. And they still don't repeat that. Mm-hmm. So much less if you've not had that. Again, I you know, now I know someone. I know someone, and, and their you know their fam their parents were divorced, and um, there was arguing and yelling and that kind of stuff in the household. And when they went to um, when they went to go look for a ring for their fiance, they freaked out. And realize that every or their soon to be fiance or want you know, something they wanted to be their fiance, they freaked out because they realized they had never seen one stable marriage in their life. Mm. And so if there's not one stable marriage in your life, then why even commit to that? Right? Right? Why even go into that? Mm. Even if culture tells you or if church tells you that it's the right thing to do or the next step, quote unquote, in your life. Why do it if you've never seen it modeled in a healthy manner? Mm. And and then thankfully for this individual, 
there was a couple that kind of came across their life who had been married, you know, for 30 plus years, and they were able to give an, an example of a healthy marriage. And so that kind of set the tone, the table for them to go, okay, maybe at this point I wasn't ready to propose to someone because of worrying about commitment. But in five months, six months down the road, that person was, you know, and so I do think it, it takes, sometimes it takes just having one couple that models that of what, you know, as a stable, you know, marriage or relationship might look like. But, and then I think you, you, again, you default back to the, what did I see that I've deemed to be unhealthy? Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to do those things. So you may learn, like, I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to get divorced. I'm not going to cheat. I'm, you learn those things. But the problem is you may not learn the things that it takes for a, healthy, uh, a marriage to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Because you've never seen communication modeled for you well, like healthy communication or healthy conflict resolution modeled for you well. It's really hard just to pull that out of thin air. Mm -hmm. Like someone's at some point has to help teach you to do that model for you how to do that. If you've never learned how to be a servant, right, to to serve and put the needs of others before yourself, if that's not an innate thing in you and you're, you've never seen that model, that's going to be really hard to do in your marriage. And so even though you can do you can you can just not do some things that are self-destructive or destructive for a marriage it's going to be hard to learn some of these basic things that are needed in marriage, mm -hmm. the communication, the conflict resolution, the, you know, how to, you know, budget finances, all those, you know, how to have conversations around finances, how to have conversations around sex, how to have conversations around parenting, all, all those things that can become involved in a marriage. If, if that's not been modeled for you, I think, to be honest with you, I think it's going to be pretty hard. I mean, I think, you would have to be someone that would go, all right, I'm going to find a mentor. I don't know any other way to do it, to be honest with you. Like other than like, I'm going to find like a couple who can mentor us, mm -hmm. you know, a couple who we respect, a couple who we believe, you know, can set an example for us. Um, or, or maybe you go get, you know, um, premarital counseling or marital counseling that helps you learn some of these things before going into marriage. And but I I think some someone somebody has to help has to help you with that. So what about trauma? Like all these questions have been like, so I'm 22 and I've never seen a good relationship or never seen anybody with a jo good job. So and I'm also not a Christian, I guess. So. Say I've never say I've had lots of trauma. Mm -hmm. Where do you think I'm at with that at 22? And like, how would how would I how would I know what to do with that? Yeah. So can I hit on one thing real quick? Yeah. I think even if you are a Christian and you've not seen these things modeled, it's really hard for you to do. Okay. So I think I don't know if this is necessarily even a Christian versus non-Christian thing. I think if you're a Christian and you've never seen a good marriage modeled that's going to be really hard, mm -hmm. you know, to learn healthy communication skills, healthy conflict resolution skills. Even if you are a Christian and you've never seen your parents, you know, consistently have a stable job, 
that can be difficult for you to learn that as well. So I think it goes both ways. Okay. Yeah. Um, but in regards to the question of trauma, how do I deal with the trauma? All right. So I don't honestly know how people deal effectively with their trauma with two, without two things more than likely, maybe even three without knowing, I'll say three things without knowing Jesus, without having a community of people around them to love them and support them, encourage them and to have someone more than like a counselor help them deal with their trauma. And so in other words, if you've had trauma and you don't deal with that trauma, you know, you've got to face that trauma is what I'm getting to. And because medicine only mask things for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, going to a a counselor and learning healthy coping mechanisms or quasi healthy coping mechanisms or supposed healthy healthy coping mechanisms only will get you so far mm-hmm. if you don't deal with the root of the trauma. Like, in other words, there has to be healing there where there's where there's been brokenness. And, and that doesn't happen overnight. And, and so, and I know I sound really cliche with like, well, you need to know Jesus. You need to, you need to know, have a community. You need to go, you know, see a counselor that, that the knowing Jesus part can sound really cliche, but I really mean that. Like, I don't know actually how people make it through trauma without Jesus. And what I mean by that is I, I, I don't deny that people learn to become very, you know, um, not just functioning in society, but you know they they give something to society. You know they're not just takers; they're give they can be givers. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not saying that it just causes people to be you know um, completely paralyzed. But in a lot of cases with trauma, that is what happens. There's a someone becomes paralyzed, kind of like where in the state where they were at when the trauma happened, mm-hmm. and now when other things come up. That, you know, using this word, like, which triggers them, now they're acting out of that pain and out of that hurt. And, you know, you may have heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think it's a true statement. Um, and so, but I, I, but so I think that people need to go through a, a process of learning how to be healed in their trauma, because it, it, it and it can depend on the trauma, right? I mean, the diff- there's different levels of trauma. Um, but if we're talking about trauma, that is, you know, um, it could be trauma from, you know, sexual abuse. It could be trauma from parental, you know, negligence. It could be, you know, PTSD. It could be trauma from loving or losing a loved one in an, at an early age, whether that be a parent or a sibling, Um and so there's different forms, of but I think people with trauma, it's like, I think sometimes we're just like, well, time will just heal all wounds. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Time just doesn't heal all wounds. Some wounds are so deep that you need to confront it and walk through it. And counselors who just give you medication to mask the pain aren't really helping you long term, right? Right. Like you want to find someone. And I'm speaking of this from a personal level, and you, know, you want to find someone that can help you walk through that trauma 
And then their goal is to not have, you don't have to keep going back to them forever, right? The goal is to be well, to be whole, where you don't have to keep seeing a counselor over and over again. So I think there's the counselor component. I think there's the community. We all need community, people who believe in us, people who will encourage us, people who will support us. But I really do believe we need Jesus. And the reason I say Jesus is because we need the one who knows us the best to heal our deepest wounds. Okay. And Jesus is the one who knows us more than anyone else, knows exactly what we need. And I think... Christian counselors who are doing it well and doing it right and are are helping you, really discipling you as they're helping you deal with your trauma, face your trauma, and they're bringing healing into those spaces. Christ is a is a central component of that. And, and so knowing Christ and knowing his love and knowing his mercy, knowing his forgiveness, knowing his grace, I think are all important things in our healing. And and all of a sudden, now my identity can shift from just an identity of one who suffered trauma to an identity of one who is in Christ. I think that's probably the biggest component of having healing in our trauma with knowing Christ. It's for so many people, because the trauma was so painful and hurtful, it now is forming and shaping their identity. And I think we've got to find a way to not only be healed from the trauma, but form and shape a new identity. And that when we have an identity that's built around Christ, that's something that's immovable, unshakable, and it's not depending on circumstances or situation. It's just depending on do I know Christ or not. Mm. And so I think it's a huge component in someone's healing and trauma. And so when... You know, they got a lot of trauma from their past, and you're asking how to deal with it. That's why I say we need Jesus, we need the community, and we need someone, most often a professional counselor, that can help us walk through that trauma. You always manage to bring Jesus back into this. <laughs> it's like I'm a pastor or something. It's I know. ridiculous. It really is. And, you know, uh, and I, you know and, and I don't know, does it come across as pastor talk? Uh, you know, so, okay, yeah, it does. All right, so good. Uh, next question. Yeah. <laughs> so my next question was going to be about Jesus. <laughs> sort of. So the other two things, mm-hmm. relationships and jobs. Jobs. Mm-hmm. How would those things be improved by Jesus? How would those things be improved right. by Jesus? Like if I've. If I've grown up and seen those two things be horrible, mm-hmm. why would pouring Jesus on it make it better? <laughs> okay, I see what you're saying. Like if I just add Jesus to yeah. it, it'll all be fine. Right. Well, because in relationships, so dealing with relationships first, okay? Mm-hmm. I think in relationships, it's because we see in relationships what we see modeled for us in Christ actually is the way that we should model ourselves and the way we interact with one another in marriage or in in even just any relationship. And this this is what I mean by that. Christ came and what he modeled for us was 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 a servant model of living, putting others' interests above my own Mm -hmm. for the sake of their well-being. But he was God, so that was easier for him to do. <laughs> it was he was God. You're correct. He is God, and therefore, when he came down, yes, he did not have a fallen sin nature. 
Right. Right? Which we have. Okay? However, when we become Christians, now we've got God living in us via the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so God living in us can empower us and transform us from the inside out. Because I think, here's, here's what I'm saying. In marriage, there are things that have to be learned. Communication, conflict resolution. I think those are like tools that need to be learned. Mm. But I think so much of it goes, what's behind all of that, even more so, is my attitudes and my position of my heart toward my spouse in the midst of communication, in the midst of conflict resolution. I can learn all the communication and conflict resolution skills I want, but if I don't actually want to love or want to forgive, it it may not matter. Oh, okay. And so... So I'm just mad that I'm resolving conflict. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, you can be. You're just mad you're resolving conflict. Okay. You can, Or you can just be like, I'm pissed off that we're always compromising, or I'm pissed off that I'm losing half the battles here, right? Oh, is this argument over? Well, screw you. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. And, and so, but like, Christ is not just transforming behavior, right? Right. Christ is transforming us from the inside out. So Christ is actually transforming who we are and our attitudes and our heart toward others. So I want to... Do it better instead of just do it better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 the want to is a huge deal. Okay. Because if I'm just like, oh, fine, I'll do it better. <laughs> right? Then eventually, like, if you just are trying to, like, grit your way there, the resentment eventually is going to build up. Right. Because, again, you, you just feel like you're just having to grit your teeth, get through it, make people happy and appease people, and then move you on. You could just... Be angry about dealing with your resentment. Yeah, that's always good. <laughs> always real healthy. Um, so as a Christian, so it's not like I'm pouring Jesus on top of this, right? It's in, in my marriage. It's that Jesus is actually transforming me to love my spouse as Christ loved the church. Okay. It's causing me to say, I will put the interest of the other above myself. And yes, there is a choice in that. I'm choosing to do that. But there's also a grace that is active in my life because Christ is in me. Holy Spirit is in me. That's allowing me in grace to put the other one before, my, before myself and to forgive them when I've been wronged, right? To know that I need to ask for forgiveness when I've wronged them. All of these things that become or you know become full of mercy and empathy toward people, all of these things that happen because Christ comes in us and transforms us to live in a way that's just simply different, right? And so I think that's a huge part of why Christ is so important in marriage. And you know, when you when you talk about work and jobs, like what will make it better? Well, what if all of a sudden now my my work was not just to make money? Um then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Some people would say. But what is my, what if, in other words, what if I can work and I'm, I'm making money, but now the, the, the perspective is, okay, I'm, I'm working. I was made, we're, we're made to work, okay? So we're, we're made to work. 
I thought we weren't made to work. No, like even in the but gar- then we sinned and now we have to. No, now it works just harder. Oh, okay. Yeah, but when we were created, when Adam and Eve were created, they were created with having to work. Oh, they actually had to work in the garden and that kind of thing. But now the the curse of the fall was that the work now became harder. They were created to tend a perfect garden. Yeah. Naked. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and then the fall happened. And, and they now, had to put on clothes. They had to put on clothes and really work. And really work. Really work okay. now. Yeah. And what and, did they do in the garden? What did they have to do? Well, if everything was perfect, why wouldn't they have to do anything? Yeah, so... I mean, I know he had to name the animals. Right, he had to name the animals. Which I don't think he did a good job at. (laughs) Are you questioning some of the names of the animals? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll let you discuss that with Adam when you see him. Um, But, yeah, I mean, they... So, obviously, there were things within the garden that they were having to do. And so, because they were given dominion over the whole garden, over all the animals... And so there is this sense of them being caretakers okay. for the animals, for the garden. And what that all fully entailed, I, I don't know. So they're just brushing cats all day and <laughs> feeding just, dogs. Right. And, just taking rides on yeah. elephants. And, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. And so, but so we were, we were created to work, but you know, work became harder. And so, but I think the idea of, okay, but I can work and work. Yes. I'm, I'm getting a paycheck. We, you know, I, I mean, mm-hmm. Paul says, you know, thus to, to the Thessalonians, he says, yeah, if you don't work, guess what? You don't eat. And that's what he tells them. Like, in other words, you need to work. Like working is actually good because that's how we have provision. And I think that's one part of it. So like when I'm a Christian and I'm working, then I know I'm not just working for myself, one. So like, yes, I'm, I'm getting income, but can I use it to make sure that my family's cared for and provided for? Mm-hmm. Can I use it to make sure that I'm, I'm giving back, you know, to the kingdom and to see kingdom work happen? And so like I'm, I'm being generous. I'm caring for those that are without, right? So um, as Jesus says, you know, if you care for one of the, it, like, if you care for one of the least of these, you're caring for me. Mm-hmm. And so there was a sense, there's a sense of, in Christians, of generosity and charity, but also my work doesn't have to just be a secular endeavor of, I'm here to make money. My work can actually be a sacred space of Christ coming and intervening in, in, in my work mm-hmm. space. And to allow him the opportunity and be open to the opportunity of Christ maybe wanting to come and speak to me or through me or do something for me or in me or through me for the for the sake of his kingdom uh, while I am working. And so that it can be of actual kingdom benefit and not just from my own material gain. And so I think it changes your perspective, right? And so no, that again... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that again. I think it changes your perspective. You know, I'm not just here grinding away. Oh, I'm sorry. To make a dollar. Ooh, that again. I changed my perspective. You changed your perspective. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And so, yeah, and so I do think it can, I think it can help give a perspective change. Say I have learned through growing up 
the exact opposite way to do things. How would I ever know how to do the right things? Like, say I think that the wrong way to do things, according to you, is the good... Like, I, I actually believe that it's the good, right way to do things. How would I ever know the the better way to do it? Okay. Like, I'm... I guess I'm constantly hitting a wall because I'm doing things wrong. How would I even know? How do I know I'm in the worst? You know, how do, how do I know I'm the worst, basically? <laughs> well, I do think that the Holy Spirit in every one of that, the Holy Spirit, there's a sense of conviction, I think, in every one of us. Like, in other words, if I'm at my job, mm-hmm. okay, and I am always like something happens. I get mad and I quit, right? And then I go to another job, do the same thing. Do go to the next job, do the same thing. I do that because I saw my parents do that. Mm-hmm. I think something within an individual goes, but this isn't this isn't the best. This isn't right. Okay. And yes, you're right. You may not know exactly how to go about doing "quote unquote" the best thing, right? But you know something's off with this. Or if you scream at your kids because you saw your parents scream at your kids, something in every parent goes, but that's not, why am I screaming at them all the time? You know, like, there's, like, I, I think we underestimate the ability of the Holy Spirit, even when we're not Christians, for the Holy Spirit to, to come in and to, and to kind of say, hey, there's something more. There's something you're missing. There's something you're without. That's a thing that you believe happens with everybody? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to draw us to God. And so one of the ways he does that is to make us aware of our own faults and our own failures and our own sin. Okay. And when we become aware of that, we become aware then that we need a Savior. We need to have a transformation from the way we are going about things to something else. Now, again, doesn't mean that all of us immediately make a jump from that to, oh, I need Jesus. But it means that there's something stirring in us that goes, man, that's just, something's, something's not right. Something doesn't, something's not quite aligned in this. So that is God every time. I think it's God a lot of time. Yeah. Okay. Because I think that God is the one telling us, and part of it is, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter three says that eternity actually has been set in our hearts. So there's, I think there's, and I don't think, I know there's this eternal longingness in all of us to connect with, when I say eternal longingness, what I mean by that is just the desire to connect with something that is eternal. Um, Some people will phrase it as, you know, to, to want to be part of something bigger than our own selves, be part of something like a bigger story than our own story. And I think what they really mean by that, or what they, they may not mean this, but I think what's really behind that is a desire for every one of us to connect with the eternal and which is always bigger than the temporals that we see that we're a part of. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's always this call to be part of a bigger story, which is God's grand narrative, his grand story. And so even if we don't have the language for that. Um, so I, and I get it. If you grow up and all you're shown is the exact opposite of this, 
you may not know how to go about doing all the quote unquote right things, but I do think you start to realize at some point, but but this is what I'm doing. This is just not it. This something is lacking. Something is missing. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not satisfied. I'm not peaceful. I'm, you know, there's got to be something more. And I think, unfortunately, what a lot of times what we do is we just try to find that peace or that something more in other temporal things. Okay. And I think that's kind of the the cycle we get on. What What do you mean other temporal things? So, in other words, like, all right, I'm not... I'm not satisfied with this relationship. I'm going to end this relationship and I'm going to start to go to another relationship because it's got to be the relationship, right? Or I'm not happy in general. Uh, it must be my job. I quit my job, go to a new job. Like I'm always trying to get this sense of fulfillment or satisfaction or be okay. And I think I can do that if I change my external circumstances. Okay. Or it could be, Man, if I had this, I would be happier, mm-hmm. right? If I had this house, this living location, this boyfriend, this girlfriend, this, you know, um, this spouse, if I had, you know, or maybe, oh, I know I need a kid. If I have kids and you're always trying to change this circumstance to try to bring some sense of joy or satisfaction. And that is so short lived. And I'm not saying there's not a satisfaction level. I'm not saying there's not a pleasure level. But what I'm saying is, is those things are short-lived, and eventually you're going to feel the need to change something else. And I think people get tired of that cycle after a while. Okay, so say I realize that I'm tired of the cycle, mm-hmm. and I know that I learned how to do all this wrong because of how I grew up. How do I not be angry about that? Oh. And how do I deal with that? Yeah. So so I'm like, hey, everything was, you know, hey, you guys taught me not the right thing. Mm-hmm. So what do I, how do I not be mad? Like you guys were older than me. You should right, have known, should know. known the right thing. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the same thing, right? I mean, maybe they didn't know either. Right. Right. And so the cycle continues. So you don't know what you don't know. And then other times people are just, they act the way they want to act because they're selfish. Right. Um, and, or maybe they're, they're hurt themselves. And so they're acting out of that own hurt. And yeah, I, I think the way that you don't stay angry at them is, I mean, we can't like to stay just angry at someone to just, you know, hold on to unforgiveness mm-hmm. towards someone. Like, what is that actually doing? In other words, like if I've just got unforgiveness towards somebody and I'm just choosing not to let go. And choosing for that thing just to stew in me, it's not hurting them. Like the only person that's hurting is me. Right. And I know that. So, what I'm getting to is, well, people go, well, but yeah, but you can't control your feeling of anger. You're just angry at who you're angry at. Well, when people come to me and they say, I have an anger problem, <laughs> most often the anger problem is an unforgiveness problem. You know, so when people do come and say that to me, and I realize that okay, there's an anger problem there. Like, yeah, my first question is, all right, well, who do we need to forgive? What's behind, in other words, what's behind this anger? Mm. And I think when we realize that we can forgive, that there is a sense of, all right, I'm, I can forgive. With Jesus? I, I, I mean, you can try to do it without Jesus. Good luck. <laughs> Good okay. luck. Because, 
again, I really feel like, okay, we can make the forgiveness is a choice. Mm -hmm. I choose to forgive. Okay. So I can make that choice, but I really think it's the only the Holy Spirit that can really transform me. And that Holy Spirit transforming me is what eventually allows that feeling of anger, that feeling of unforgiveness to dissipate. And so I keep making the choice to forgive, right? So even as a Christian, I may have the feeling of anger for a while, the feeling of unforgiveness for a while, but every day I'm making that choice to forgive. And simultaneously, I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to, to remove this anger. You know, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to remove this anger, to remove this, this frustration, to remove this unforgiveness from me, this resentment in me, this offense in me. And I believe the Holy Spirit has the capability of doing that. And, but I believe that when we try to forgive in our own strength and our own power, that it can just be really, really difficult to do that on our own. So how do I interact with parents that I know did things wrong? Like, even if I'm trying to forgive them and I'm being Jesus-y about it and and wanted to forgive them or say I didn't, I don't do that. What do I, how, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. Well, and I think it depends on what, what they did. Right. Right. If you're talking about, they were just, you know, if you're talking about the fact they were not encouraging or they were not edifying or they were not supportive, that's, that's one thing. If you're talking about the fact that they were yelling and screaming in the house, maybe at you, Okay, that's a little something more. If you're talking about the fact that there was abuse going on, mm -hmm. that's a whole different level. And so I don't want to just give one answer for across the board. Right. I think that if if there was like, and even if there's like neglect, those kind of things, um, I think that you have to determine to forgive doesn't mean to be reconciled with. Okay. And so... I might forgive one that abused me, but I'm doesn't mean I have to be reconciled with that person. Okay. Because that might be really unhealthy mm -hmm. situation for me. Um, and so, and I, I'm, I'm usually not a proponent of just cutting parents off. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Bible says to honor them. I think the Bible says to respect them, but even in that, if if the if the relationship with the parents is so unhealthy in the sense of because there was abuse or because there's constant manipulation from the parent toward the child, mm -hmm. um, or if they're wanting the child like I, I know I know a situation with someone and the parent is always wanting their adult child to give them money to help them out financially. Because the parent just chooses not to work or not work as much as they should. Um, those are not healthy situations. Um, and so it may be that you have to say, well, I will choose to be around my parents in this situation, but not in all situations. Um, or I cannot, maybe it's the, the abuse was, you know, so bad that it was just like, nope, I cannot be in a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Now, I can still honor them and still respect them by not just by not just going around talking to everybody about how horrible my parents were. 
Now, I'm not saying you don't sit down with a pastor or a counselor or a close group of friends and express those things. Mm -hmm. But that's different than just at every opportunity blaming the parent for something. Um, And so there's a way to honor and to respect your parents, even if you're not reconciled with them. Or even if you're, maybe you're, maybe you'll see them. Maybe you see them at holidays and birthdays and those kind of things, but you're not going to call them on a regular basis. You're not going to interact with them a lot. Um, they were abusive to you. So you know what you're not going to do? Let them be around your kids, right? Or at least not around them unsupervised. And so I think there's different levels to this. I think it's kind of a nuanced question okay. of how we then deal with these parents. I, I do think that you can, there can always be honor and there can always be respect, but that doesn't mean there has to be a constant, all right, I've got to be with them and just be good. But I do think we need to honor, respect, and I do think we need to forgive. Okay. So it is hard to grow up while you're already grown. Sure. So... Basically, if I've learned everything the wrong way, there are people around me that have grown up learning things the right way. Mm-hmm. What do I like? How do I deal with the fact that I'm learning things or or exp- experiencing Jesus later than everybody else? Right, and everybody seems to know how to do things all the right way. <laughs> And I don't know how to do that. If you think everyone knows how to do all the right things (laughs) the right way at all times, they're just fooling you, man. Okay. Well, they're farther ahead than I am. Okay. And that may be fair. That's okay. Okay. That's part of the journey of growing in Christ and being a disciple in Christ. And so whether we come to Christ, you know, at a young age or whether it's later on in life, it's midlife, or we're elderly, whatever it is, we start growing in Christ at that point, and we allow Him to transform us at His pace from that point. And I don't think we're into, we don't have to be in comparison mode, right? Like, I'm not having to look around me and go, wow, they're just farther along than me at everything, and I suck, I understand why we do that or why the temptation is there to do that. But I think the reality is there's always, we are probably doing something better than somebody else. And they're probably doing something better than I'm doing. So I think there's never like, I think there's always a possibility to learn from each other. And I think there's always the possibility to say, or not the possibility, I think there's always the opportunity to go, all right, well, you know what? I'm not as far along as that person is in the way that I speak to my children or raising my kids or the way that they carry themselves at work or the way they are interacting with their spouse or the way they're communicating with other people or the way they're dealing with conflict resolution, whatever it may be, or the way they're handling their finances. I think there's so many nuanced things in here. And I think we're all kind of growing at different paces um, in these different areas of our life. And, and some of us are growing emotionally and some of us are growing mentally. And uh, just because we've grown physically, right, doesn't mean there's not a lot of other room to grow. But I understand we become accustomed to doing things a certain way 
whether we've chosen to repeat what we've seen before, whether we've chosen to just uh, reject what we've seen before. And you know, trying to grow in Christ, man, just grow in Christ. And don't keep comparing yourself to other people and allow other people to model it for you. If you think they're doing it better, cool. Ask them how, ask them why, ask them what led them to that point in their journey to be able to handle their spouse or their kids or their finances or whatever it may be, their job, as well as they are. When you're doing pastor stuff (laughs) and people come to you with the same problem, does that get annoying? Like when the same individual is coming to me with the same problem, or when multiple people are coming to me with a like with the same problem, both. Okay, does it get annoying? Do, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when all right, so if I've got a group like multiple people, in other words, like not that they're not that like five people are coming at one time, but just. Over a period of time, people are coming and they've got the same, they're wondering about the same thing. No, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. Okay. That lets me know there's probably something in, in our society, in whatever, our culture, whatever it may be, that's really flawed. And so, therefore, a lot of people are struggling in the same area. Okay. Um, so, that, that doesn't annoy me at all. Um, when the same person is coming to me with the same issue over and over and over and over and over again, I think that doesn't bother me at all either. If, as long as I can see that there's some sense of them wanting to change. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if they're coming to me over and over and over again with the same problem and I'm giving the same counsel and advice and they're never taking it, eventually I can't help them anymore. Mm. because they're not willing to act on the advice that was given. Okay. And so I may have to say, I cannot meet with you anymore, or I cannot meet with you in a counseling capacity, but I'm happy to just get together and have coffee with you and just talk as, you know, bros in Christ. You know, I can do that. What if they wanted to do a podcast? (laughs) I would tell them I'm already doing a podcast. (laughs) Well, this has been the way I heard this podcast. Um, that was fun. Yeah, man. Got to talk about um, how horrible things could be. <laughs> and Jesus. And Jesus, right. I right, forgot right, about right, Jesus. Right, don't forget about Jesus. Yeah, right. He's he awesome. always shows up. He's awesome. And comes up in conversations. And, <laughs> he does. Yep. That guy. Yep. That God. But, Yeah. He was half a guy, or he was all of a guy at one point. Yeah, and all God. And all God. Mm. Mm. You can find the podcast on all major places that have podcasts and YouTube and Rumble. You can follow updates on the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at When I Heard This Podcast. Go to Patreon, $5. Click all the buttons around the things. Like, subscribe, share, download. Rumble button. That's a button on the video's of one of the things you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Nate Robinsoff, and you can follow Joseph on Instagram at Rev Joe T. This has been the one who heard this podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.